Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Guys, over the last number of weeks, um, we've been exploring this idea of the message of the cross. And I, I don't know if I would call it a sermon series. I'm not down in my office just kind of coming up with catchy titles and phrases and trying to outline uh, sermons for like the year or something like that. Um, but it seems to me when I, when I start going down an area of study, the Lord speaks to me in themes. And so I think that that would be kind of the definition of a sermon series. <laughs> and uh, I've just been grateful for um, the Lord's instruction, at least to me, over the last number of weeks as we've been looking at the message of the cross. This is a great time. If you haven't been here, if you're just jumping on board, we do have a podcast that you guys can listen to. Um, I've been really encouraged by the number of people that have let me know that they listen to our podcast when they're not here. <laughs> and uh, I thought we were maybe just going through the motions to do it because to be like a cool church, you have to have a cool podcast. Uh, but no, like people are using it. And so we're on iTunes, and, or I guess iTunes isn't a thing anymore. We're on Apple Podcasts now, uh, but also just on our website and YouTube and all the different places if you guys uh, want to catch up with some of our messaging. But we've been talking about the message of the cross. And two weeks ago, uh, we began to look at the cross not only in light of what Jesus did for us, but we also looked at it as an invitation that Jesus didn't just die on a cross so we wouldn't have to, but he actually died as an invitation to uh, join him there on the cross, to take up our own cross. We looked at Jesus' invitation to discipleship. And we, we find this in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 23, he says this. He said to them all, speaking to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You see, the invitation to follow Jesus is a call. It's an invitation to die daily. It's to die to our personal wants, our sinful desires, our carnal nature, all this language that we use. Uh, Paul readily describes this as the flesh. Have you guys heard that? Uh, have you guys uh, been around uh, maybe church for a while? You guys have heard this thing called the flesh. I know that when I am uh, not behaving as I should, my wife will call me out and says, hey, Nate, you're in the flesh today. <laughs> we, were getting, we were on our way up to Red Mountain uh, for our church retreat this last week, and uh, I don't know about any of you guys, but if you get behind somebody from out of state going up one of these mountain passes, Red Mountain is particularly brutal because it's not just one pass, but you have three passes that you're trying to get to the top of, and uh, it just seems like um, there are a variety of people that like to go 15 to 10 miles per hour on these windy mountain roads, and uh, there was a person in particular, I won't name the state that they were from, but uh, I was getting really frustrated. Now, I don't cuss, but I wanted to, if I'm being honest. <laughs> and I was, I was sitting there behind this guy, and every time I'd get to go to pass him, he would speed up. 
and then he would slow down to like 10 miles per hour. And mind you, my, I drive a Jeep. It's shaped like a brick. It's not great at accelerating um, <laughs> as it is, but it's one of those frustrating things. I remember I had just got done telling my wife about how we were going to talk about dying daily and crucifying the flesh and all these really intense subjects and being filled with the Spirit. And then immediately I start like Christian cussing out this car in front of me, you know, <laughs> like just this, you know, you know, that Christian cussing that you, that you do, right? Whatever. I went to go past the guy and he's fed up and whatnot. And I finally get in front of him and my wife's like, hmm, how's that, uh, how's that sermon going? <laughs> and so I say this because this isn't a place where we reach some kind of level of spiritual maturity, like Man, we crucified the old man, we crucified the flesh, and now we've arrived, right? Or we denied ourselves and we took up the cross that one time, like 20 years ago, and we said yes to Jesus, and now we're good for life. This is something that I think is so integral to the nature of following Jesus that we cannot afford to miss when he says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. There's, that, that word daily is intentional here because it's something that we do day in and day out. It's something that we actually have to do. But I was sharing that whole story because uh, my wife uh, will joke with me and she'll say, you're in the flesh right now, right? <laughs> you're not in the spirit. You're in the flesh. And especially when I'm doing something silly or obviously uh, not like Jesus, Whenever I want to fight people playing ultimate frisbee, I tell myself, uh, I have to calm myself down. I'm in the flesh right now uh, because it happens. It hasn't happened in a while though, right, Shannon? He's thinking about it. He's like, do I be honest or put my pastor on blast right now? For real, I haven't heard anybody in a while. Well, I guess last week I hit Gael in the face with the frisbee. That was an accident though. That wasn't, if I would have been full of the spirit, I would have missed. It would have been great. Anyway, <laughs> but I was, I, I, this call, this invitation to follow Jesus is one of denying yourself, of taking up your cross daily. It is a call to die that you might actually live. This is what we have to understand. It's not just saying no to something. There's plenty of philosophies out there about self-denial. There are people that fast. There are people that go on hunger strikes. There are people that live with very little or nothing, and they're not closer to God because of it. Uh, we have to understand it's just not suffering for suffering's sake. It's this call to die that we might actually live. It's not just saying no to something, but also yes to someone. Denying oneself is only part of the equation. Saying yes to the cross and following Jesus is the ultimate goal. And so Jesus goes on in Luke chapter 9 here. In verse 24, he says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? You see, it's this glorious exchange of your wants and desires for the Lord's. It's no longer your will, but his being done, just like Jesus would model for us, right? Just like he would model for us before he went to the cross in prayer before the Father, Lord, not your will, but not, not my will, but yours be done, right? 
And this is what this idea of uh, denying oneself and taking up your cross eventually leads to. When it comes to following Jesus, we have to understand that the kingdom of God is something of an upside-down kingdom, right? The last are going to be first. The first are going to be last, right? We serve a God who came to serve, a king of all who came to be the least of these, to serve us, right? It, it really doesn't make sense when you start thinking about it in human terms. But keeping with that theme, Jesus says here in Luke chapter 9 that the only way to find or to save our life is to lose it for his sake. Okay, so the year was 1999. I was eight years old. And uh, it was my birthday. And I don't have a ton of happy childhood memories for you guys that are familiar with my story. But I have one in particular that is a kind of a real standout one for me. I went to Albertsons with my dad for my eighth birthday. And uh, we would do this thing where we'd go to the back of the seafood department. And they've got all the lobsters in the tank back there. And I thought it would always be cool to buy one of those live lobsters and keep it as a pet or something like that. <laughs> and for whatever reason, it was just kind of a cool, free thing to do. So my dad took me to go look at the lobsters. And then he's like, let's make a steak for your birthday. And the whole time I was thinking, man, he just really loved me. No, he really wanted to eat steak for dinner. And, uh, <laughs> and we went to the clearance section and Albertson's always had the good clearance meat. You guys are like, what, are, what does this have to do with anything? I promise it's getting somewhere. Um, <laughs> and so we, we bought a steak and these things. And I had $20 that was given to me for my birthday. And I remember coming up, and at the front of the aisles at the time, you could buy movies, probably like you can buy movies at City Market right now. And I think they're like 20 bucks for a movie, like the new releases that come out. But this was on VHS, and there was a movie, it was a really silly kind of dumb movie called Galaxy Quest that had Tim Allen in it. Has anybody seen that movie? Oh, good. Uh, there's like four or five people that have seen it. I, I thought it was going to be completely like, no, nobody's ever watched that. It's, it, I don't think it was like a super popular movie or anything like that. I don't think it won any awards. But there's this main character in this, uh, in this movie. Well, I, I skipped a whole part of the story that would have made sense here. But in this movie, there's this main character uh, who uh, his mantra, his catchphrase, his saying is never give up, never surrender. And uh, you guys may have heard that maybe in just common language, but that was kind of this main character's mantra. And it's something that I think is um, kind of deemed appropriate or even popular, if you will, um, amongst a lot of people in our culture, right? This mentality of not giving up, of not quitting, of just gritting it through, and eventually you're going to find success, right? If you just don't quit, if you don't throw in the towel, you'll eventually beat the odds and be victorious. And I know it's a silly line from a silly movie, but uh, it really stuck with me as an eight-year-old kid thinking, like, that's just cool. And I remember, like, going around to my not friends in elementary school being like, hey, never give up, never surrender, thinking like, woo, it's a silly line. And they were even making fun of this kind of mantra, this line in the movie. But I think there are a lot of people that have tried to approach the Lord in this same way, with this same mentality. And they try to serve the Lord in their own strength. They try to they try to grit it through. They try to find some kind of like innate human 
tenacity that is going to keep them there. We, we might call it something like grit. But I, when it comes to the Lord, um, human stubbornness tends to get in the way more often than it's a positive trait, I feel like. I know, that, uh, I know that in some instances, grit and tenacity and just not giving up is, is good, right? I mean, we know our culture gives up too easily, right? We throw in the towel too easily. Marriages are crumbling because people don't want to actually work on things. We, we live in a, in a culture, if you don't like a job, just quit and get unemployment or whatnot because there's no kind of long-lasting effect. But when it comes to the Lord, it seems like things just get reversed, where we come before the Lord and we want to hold on to some sense of ourself and our pride and our stubbornness and just kind of keep going with what makes us tick. When in reality, I believe that surrender is not just a, a positive thing, but it's a necessary thing. And whereas... The, the, the popular common, you know, thought process is never give up, never surrender, and that'll ensure your victory. I believe when it comes to the Lord that the only way to actually ensure victory, the only way to live victoriously is a surrendered life. So why are we talking about Surrender. Why did I share a silly story that you're like, I still don't really get why it was connected. It was just a happy memory for me as a kid, okay? And it had a catchphrase in it. I thought maybe you want to share in that joy with me for just a moment. But I believe surrender to the Holy Spirit is the missing step for so many people in actually walking in the Spirit. I, I, I want to talk about taking up our cross and following Jesus. And we can't do that unless we're actually surrendered to his will. There is nothing, I don't care who you are, I don't care how strong you are, you are not going to be able to take up your cross and follow Jesus in your own strength without the Holy Spirit. In fact, I read this story the other day of a, of a pastor that was uh, having a conversation with this man. And this man was an atheist and says, you know what? Christians are just weak-willed and weak-minded, and that's why they need religion as a crutch. That's why they need Christianity as a crutch. That's why they need the Bible as a crutch. And this pastor kind of very expertly and, and very wise uh, responds with, well, if that's the case and you're so smart and you're so strong, why don't you just do the things that the Bible says? It should be easy then if it's just a crutch, right? And he couldn't do it. He, he came back three weeks later and saying that that was an impossible thing for me to try to do. And the reality of it is, is to follow Jesus the way scripture lays out that we ought to follow him is something that no human can accomplish. I don't care how good you are or how strong or how mentally stable and how perfect your life may be, to follow Jesus the way that he intends us to follow him is impossible without surrender to the Holy Spirit. Yet we want to keep our individuality. We want to keep our personality. We want to keep the things that make us us, even if they're the very things that are hurting us and keeping us bound and keeping us from his presence. 
Surrender is important. <laughs> and so today, if I were titling this message, Adam comes up with better titles for my messages for the podcast than I do. But I want to talk about crucifying the flesh. Sounds like a pretty metal you know, like band name there or something right there. Crucify the flesh. KJV is mortify the flesh, right? It's, uh, it's pretty heavy language. And somebody should probably let Paul know that that might be off-putting to maybe like new converts and new Christians. Like, can't we just have like, maybe like, let's deal with your problems, right? But no, he's like, crucify the flesh is the way that he phrases it. And we, we looked at this verse last week, but we're going to look at it again. It's Galatians 5, 24. This is what scripture says. Those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There's no two ways about it. If you belong to Christ, you must crucify the flesh. The sinful nature, that innate carnal part of you that wants to do things contrary to what God wants for you. Its passions, its desires have to be put to death. There's actually, uh, I was talking to Adam this morning, there's so many references that Paul makes to this about putting to death the sinful nature, putting to death the flesh, uh, crucifying the flesh. He, it, Paul would go on to say, I die daily. He'd talk about beating his body and making it his slave. This, this very real struggle that exists. And I want to be clear and upfront with you guys. I don't stand up here pretending to have mastered this. Right? I just, I, I, hope, I hope you understood. I just confess to you guys that, man, I have a problem with road rage. <laughs> it's, it's real. That's, I mean, that's just what I feel comfortable sharing with you because I feel like maybe it's a little more acceptable. I have bigger deals and bigger issues that I struggle with. And I know that each and every one of you probably have something that you struggle with. No one in here is perfect. And so let's let down the guys that, man, we just have it all figured out and we're all goody two-shoe Christians and none of us ever struggle with this thing called sin or the sinful nature or the flesh. Because can I tell you, the old Nate Ward still wants to resurrect every day. <laughs> there are parts of me that don't want to pray. Woo, could you believe that? I'm a pastor. Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> There, there, there are things that are contrary to the nature of God that war inside of me. And I have to make a conscious decision to make sure that that old man doesn't resurrect. We have to be engaged in this because if we feel like, you know what, I said a prayer one time and you know what, everything's just going to work itself out. We lack intentionality. And when we lack intentionality with spiritual disciplines, there's no spiritual discipline and we become lazy and we become unhealthy and eventually we'll look back and say, what did I actually do for the Lord? What did I actually do with my life? We wind up in a place that's so upside down that we're not even close to the Lord anymore. I mean, think about it, right? You don't see star athletes just go binging on food and just kind of completely neglecting working out and, and doing any kind of regimen or something like that and just kind of kicking it on a beach forever and still being at the peak of their game, right? No, they beat their bodies. They make it their slaves. The, these pro athletes are working out 10, 12 hours a day, practicing their craft and toning their bodies and making sure that they're not eating junk. 
I mean, I'm, I'm visioning this. I've never really done that myself, if you can see. But we expect to be at some kind of peak spiritual fitness just because, you know what, we came to church on a Sunday morning once. Or, you know what, we, we go to Bible study once a week. And, and just think about it. Like, how, how healthy would you be if you ate twice a week? You wouldn't be very physically healthy, right? Think about it spiritually. If we're only coming to the word of God once or twice a week, you know what? And we're just kind of letting somebody else feed us. Our spiritual man is not going to be very healthy either, right? It's not going to be very strong. Anyway, we're talking about crucifying the flesh. We're talking about putting to death unhealthy passions and desires, not just unhealthy, but sinful, contrary to the nature of the Lord. But how? How do we do that? Right? Because it, this language just exists, and we talk about, man, brother, you got to crucify the flesh. you got to be full of the Spirit. you got to do this thing. But what does that actually mean? Does anybody ever struggle with this? This is one of my, my big pet peeves with a lot of Christianese, is I can hear something, and it sounds really good. And sometimes even when I'm reading Paul, I'm like, Man, that's really vivid, awesome language, but I have no idea what that actually means and how do I actually apply it to day-to-day -day life. Does anybody ever struggle with that? Okay, because uh, I'm glad because that's a, that's a big struggle for mine. And maybe I'm just not as smart or as spiritual as some people, but there are some times where people are talking and it's beautiful, but I really walk away saying, like, that was awesome. I have no idea what to do with how awesome that was. And... Uh, I want to give us some practical steps. Now, by no means do I feel like these are the only things that you can implement and do in order to crucify the flesh and to walk in the spirit. But I do think that they are helpful. They are necessary. And if we practice these disciplines, we will have a healthier relationship with the Lord. Make sense? Cool. And so I say all of this because it has to begin with the Holy Spirit. That's why I began with talking about surrender to him. It's not something we can night, white knuckle, <laughs> night wuckle, white knuckle. It's not something that we could just hold on to and, and just kind of grit ourselves and, and make it happen. Nate Ward cannot crucify his own sinful tendencies. Apart from the Holy Spirit, that, that line of thinking is futile. It has to begin with him. And I believe he's willing to give grace I'm, I believe that he's willing to enable, and I believe there's the, the promise of his Holy Spirit to help this. So I don't want you to think that you can just do it because you can't. And if you feel like, man, you're struggling, I've been just trying not to sin, and you still sin, uh, wow, uh, welcome to the rest of humanity. <laughs> there is, uh, but there is grace and power through the Holy Spirit to live victorious over sin. And so I think it would be helpful to read the rest of Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to begin in verse 16. I'm going to hit a couple things real quick. I realize um, uh, there's a lot to cover here. So beginning in 16 of Galatians chapter 5, this is what Paul says. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, 
Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't think I like the fact that outbursts of wrath are listed right there with idolatry and sorcery and murder. Yeah, I mean... This is, this is intense, but sin is sin, okay? So anyway, <laughs> but we go on. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking another one envying one another. Pentecostals are pretty bad about this. A lot of the charismatic churches I've been to are big about being baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, yet they actually don't demonstrate any of the fruit that's mentioned here. And I love that Paul says, hey, if you're going, uh, if you're going to live in the Spirit, you also have to walk in the Spirit. And for me, that, that gives me this this understanding that it's got to move past just this abstract construct that's spiritual into something that manifests itself practically that's demonstrated in action. Does that make sense? Like, I, I just get so tired of the language when there's not any action behind it. And it's one thing to believe in the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in principle, and it's a whole other thing to actually live it out in day-to-day life. And so that's why I say there is necessity to walk in the Spirit if you're going to crucify the flesh, the passions, and the desires of the human nature. In verse 16, it says, Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Doesn't just say it, it, there's this aspect of actually doing things, of being in action, of demonstrating the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you do that, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Uh, that, that word, uh, the KJV, I kind of like it. It talks about mortifying the flesh, if you want to go back to the KJV. And I believe the best way to do that, to kill it, is to starve it. A question I like to ponder when reflecting on what should and shouldn't be in my life is to ask, is this thing, is this activity, is this person strengthening my relationship with the Lord or detracting from it? I used to do this a lot with the music that I was listening to in high school, and I'd think about it, man, if I listen to this right now, is it going to provoke me to love Jesus more, or is it going to distract and detract me from loving Jesus more? And I understand, friends, that this breaks down, I'm not saying use this as just kind of the ultimate religious thing, like, should I eat this donut? Will it help me love Jesus more, or should I not eat this donut? You can take this and get all weird with it, but... I don't want you to be deceived by the fact that what serves as your entertainment, that what serves as your pastime, that what you fill your time with has no effect on your spiritual life. The movies that you watch, the music that you listen to, the way that you spend your time very much has an effect on your spiritual being. And what we let serve as our entertainment 
often just feeds that fleshly nature and starves our spirit. And we wonder why the church is weak and powerless in so many different areas of life. I'm not here saying go throw away all your movies and and burn all your music and get rid of all your books and make sure you get rid of your fishing poles or something like that. I'm not. But I want us to be conscious of what is eating up our time in comparison to how we're actually feeding our spirit. And just think about this, is what you're primarily living for, the flesh or for the glory of the Lord? Because the majority of people, we spend the majority of our lives working for money to provide for our homes and provide for our families and a lot of this stuff And at the end of the day, I think if we were honest with ourselves, a lot of it is self-serving and self-gratifying. And it's in the flesh and not in the spirit. And I'm not here to try to tell you what is right and what is wrong. This is coming from a guy that is working this out as best as I can before the Lord, trying to balance, hey, there are things that I enjoy. I love Frisbee. (laughs) You know, I play Frisbee a lot. And you think I'd be better by now, but I'm not. Um, but I love that. And I, it's not like, God, is this going to bring me closer to you? Or is this an idol in my life? I'm not saying do that with every little thing. But seriously, be, be observant of the amount of time that you spend watching Netflix and the amount of time you spend in the Word. The amount of time that you spend in worship compared to the amount of time you spend on social media. Or the amount of time that you put in. I'm not saying, man, you have to read the Bible just as much as you do watch a movie or something like that. I'm I'm not saying that. Just be observant. Because there's a very real effect of the things that we do that has on our spirit. I remember my wife and I, we went and watched a movie not too long ago. And we didn't really know what it was. And uh, we really should have left. You know, but we we paid this money to go to this movie and... It was dark and it was straight up demonic. And, you know, we're sitting there and we were miserable for the rest of the day. Just, just kind of junk. And uh, as much as uh, I like to say that, yo, Pastor Nate made the right decision. He listened to the Holy Spirit and he did what was right. Man, I didn't. I blew it. And uh, I'm thankful that there's grace. I'm thankful that the Lord is good and he's compassionate and he's kind But I want us to be observant. I want us to be aware that what serves as our entertainment has a tremendous impact on our spiritual lives. Does that make sense? And so a simple principle, and this is what I'll say. Starve your sinful nature and feed your spirit. This is the best way to walk in the spirit and crucify your flesh is to starve your flesh and feed your spirit. The majority of us, myself often included, neglect the spirit and feed the carnal with all sorts of junk. For whatever reason, our carnal nature feeds on junk food. So, whatever. Romans 8.13 For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The only way to put to death the deeds of the flesh, the sinful nature, the things that are contrary to the working of the Lord is through the Holy Spirit. And you see, one of the things I I get frustrated with is continually asking this question 
of, well, what's permissible and what's okay? And when we do that, we're asking the wrong question because we're asking, how close to the line can we get and still be okay with God, right? It's like, how close to sin can I be and everything still be okay with me and you? And we talk about like, well, how drunk is too drunk before it's actually a sin, right? Or, or how much is too much sex in a TV show before it's actually detrimental to my relationship with the Lord? And we want to know how far is too far so we can draw a line, so we can just get close enough to it but still be okay. When I want you to think about it this way. Those of you that have spouses, those of you that are married or in a relationship, when does cheating become cheating? Does it become just when your spouse starts thinking and fantasizing about somebody else? Does it happen when they're actively entertaining this notion? Maybe they're hanging out more than they, than they should supposed to be. Maybe they're, they're holding hands or they're making out or they're kissing or, or something like that. Or maybe, maybe they're going further. Maybe it's just full blown. They're having, having sex or something like that. Where do you draw the line where it's okay? I don't know about you, but I don't want my wife thinking about somebody else. You know, even understanding, even knowing that she was having thoughts about someone else. And you say, that's jealous, that's possessive. Can I tell you that scripture defines the Lord as a jealous God who owns every right to be jealous for your soul. He paid too high of a price for it. And so when we sit here thinking about, well, how close can I get to sin and it still be okay? How close can I get to the line? I so desire for a church, for men and women of God to once again embrace a call to holiness, to run the opposite way, to have a mentality like Joseph, to flee the snare and flee the clutches of sin and run closer to God than ever before. And you might say that's legalistic, brother. That makes no sense. That's not practical. That's not feasible in real life. But can I tell you, I think there is something to be said of holiness. He's coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle, not one that looks just like the world. There should be something distinct about us. And that's where intentionality comes into play. Because if we're just going to kind of go with the flow and do whatever we want, we are never going to crucify the flesh. We are never going to actually look different from the world around us. And that was my introduction, guys. I'm going to be quick here. Because I, I think these things are elementary. They're things that we know. But I just want to remind us that they're still important. I think this is one of those things where when we think about spiritual maturity, you know, we want some great deep revelation that's going to kind of give us the edge and give us more Christian plus points or something like that. But the reality of it is to crucify your flesh, to deny yourself, they're simple things. And I believe that walking in the Spirit um, can, be, can be something that's obtainable. And I want to give you just kind of five disciplines here that I think will help you with that. The first is uh, read the Bible. <laughs> I know you were looking for something like super profound. Uh, I can't think of something actually more profound than that. We have the word of the living God of all the ages. 
that is sharper than a two-edged sword that has been preserved through centuries, that is a trusted text. I mean, if you want to, if you want to dig into like why we can trust the Bible, man, talk to us. We will have, we could have some crazy conversations. We could go down some really awesome scholarly roads and look at uh, just the, the historical accuracy of this book. But beyond all of that, this is the word of a living God that is something that we can be sustained on day in and day out. And just one verse here, Psalm 119.11. I'd encourage you guys, read all of Psalm 119. Read it often. But it's David's passion for the word of God, for the law of the Lord. And he says this, though, in Psalm 119.11, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you want to begin to walk in the Spirit, if you want to put together, uh, if you want to begin to put to death that sinful nature, that flesh, that, that, that carnality, you want to stop sinning, I guess is another way that we could say this. If you want to sin less, read your Bible more. I realize that sounds too simplistic. That sounds like too youth groupy or something like that. But reality of it, it's just that simple. And I, I said this, I, I think you all should begin a Bible reading plan. If you're not reading the Bible consistently right now, I, I hope that you are. But if it's a struggle for you, man, every phone on the face of this earth can get the Bible app now. And you can start some kind of plan, and there's so many to choose from. And I'd encourage you, don't try to bite off uh, like a, we used to do this thing in Bible school where we would do the P90X, or the B90X is what we called it. The P90X was the workout. The B90X was reading the Bible in 90 days. And they were big chunks of scripture, and I remember just reading it because it was an assignment and really not getting a ton out of it. Uh, <laughs> I'd encourage you guys, man, maybe you're reading a few verses a day. A few verses a day is better than not anything at all. And so I'd encourage you guys, make it a habit to at least read something from the Word of God daily. Um, that is a great way to begin to starve the flesh and feed the Spirit. The second thing I would encourage you to do is worship daily. And when I say this, we understand that our lives are supposed to be lifestyles of worship, and maybe you can't sing very well. I know I can't. Maybe you don't play an instrument. Guess what? The radio is awesome. There's iTunes and all that. I guess iTunes isn't a thing anymore. I keep saying that, but uh, there's amazing worship music that exists out there. I'd encourage to implement worship into your daily life. I'm not saying you have to take four hours in the morning before you take a shower or go work out or something like that in order for it to be spiritual, but fill your life with worship. What you're listening to, let it be actual worship music that is exalting to the Lord. And I, I would say, try to do it, uh, try to do it daily. I think this is a Psalm 104 verse 33. This is David again saying, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. This is one of those things that I do in the shower. I do it all the time. I sing in my car and there's nobody to judge me there so I can do it. <laughs> I sing here. I sing there. I sing everywhere, whatever. And I, I know I can't sing, but whatever. Um, I would encourage you to do it because what happens, um, I believe that opening our mouth in song warms our heart and helps us focus our thoughts on him. And so I would encourage you to do that. I have friends that play worship music in their house 24-7. I had a friend here in Pagos that literally had a computer that would plug in that was always online and it would just stream the prayer room 24-7, live prayer and worship 24-7. 
Uh, I had, a, I had a, a pastor when I was in ministry school that listened to worship music nonstop in his house. You'd be coming over, you'd try to have a conversation. Somebody's in the background singing, how great is our God, right? And uh, I, I just, I love that. I'm not saying you have to do 24-7 worship, but you know how hard it is to have an argument with your spouse over worship music? You're, you're, you're not going to be starting to like yell and throw things if you've got like Chris Tomlin in the background just saying, how great is our God, whatever. Just encourage you, uh, just make it, implement it into your life in some way. I know these are practical and you can see where I'm going with all these, but just do it. It'll help change things. If you, it'll help you combat the sinful nature to walk in the spirit um, Guys, I, I don't just listen to worship music 24-7. I still know how to have fun and those things. I'm not trying to, to pigeonhole you into something here, but just encourage you. Give it a shot. Okay, I'm going to try to hit these last three really fast, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 6. Um, this is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, and there's three here that are connected directly to one another um, and come straight from the words of Jesus. Um, we're going to talk about praying, we're going to talk about giving, and we're going to talk about fasting. Three disciplines that I believe we can begin to practice that will help feed our spirit to walk in the spirit and uh, crucify the flesh. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Watch out, don't do good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward, uh, they, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your right hand Know what your left hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need. Even before you ask Him, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. That was really hard to read in a different translation than what I've memorized it in. I don't know if anybody struggles with that. But it goes on, And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair. Uh-oh. Uh, wash your face. <laughs> then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Three, it's just a few things I want to note about this. Uh, 
Jesus begins with talking about giving, particularly giving to the needy. Then he talks about praying. And then we see fasting. And so can you guess what the three things that I'm going to talk about are? Giving, praying, and fasting. As I've already told you that. Um, I want to be clear. You can do these things and you can do them wrong. They were, the Pharisees were doing these things. They were giving to the poor. They were praying and they were making sure that people heard them when they pray. They were fasting. They were doing the right things, but with the wrong motivation. And can I tell you that that's worthless? And so that by, by no stretch of the imagination do I want you to think that these things innately of themselves are something that's going to help you actually combat the flesh. That's why it has to begin with the work of the Holy Spirit. It has to be sustained by the work of the Holy Spirit. And you have to have the proper motivation when doing it, or it's worthless. Does that make sense? That's what Jesus was talking about here. And so when we give, we practice generosity. And can I tell you, practicing generosity, sacrificial giving, my friends, is a great way... Uh, to move the whole denying oneself and taking up your cross from an abstract construct to a practical action. And my charge to you would be consider forsaking some comfort maybe in exchange for someone in need. And so I I think I remember watching uh, commercials online, uh, not online, but on, uh, they were like infomercials of like, Feed the hungry kids in Africa for the price of one Starbucks a month or something like that. I don't really remember what it is, but I think a cup of coffee now is like $6 or something like that um, at the coffee shop if you get your fancy frou-frou coffee. Consider maybe forsaking, denying yourself a comfort like that. By no means is everybody leave here and say, oh, Pastor Nate said I can't drink coffee from a coffee shop anymore. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but consider, maybe ask the Lord, is there something that I could forego that I might give generously somewhere else? And I would consider, I would, I would say, be careful because I believe that the Lord will ask us to give sacrificially even. And I believe that that is one of the primo ways that we can deny ourselves when we're forsaking something such as money <laughs> um, to deny ourselves to take up our cross. And I think that generosity is something that will certainly help you uh, crucify the flesh. I remember one time, and I'm not sharing this story, so you think, oh, there's Pastor Nate. He's letting people know what he gave and whatnot. But I gave some money to a a worker at one fast food establishment one time, and I I was driving through the drive-thru, and I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to tip them a certain amount. And I remember saying, like, get behind me, devil, like, get, me, get behind me, Satan, kind of a deal. I, I thought it was the flesh, you know? I thought it was just kind of me thinking like that would be a good idea or whatnot. And the reality of it was, um, I don't know the last time my flesh ever told me to give sacrificially to somebody. <laughs> and uh, I remember just having this conversation with the Lord and, and, and following through with it. And I, I think there's something to be said of being in tune with the Holy Spirit of actually practicing generosity. And I would encourage you guys to do so. And maybe practice generosity in a way that it even is uh, hard. Um, And with that being said, we're going to pass the offering plate. I'm just kidding. But seriously, uh, consider this was giving to those in need. 
Obviously, guys, uh, the fourth thing that I want to hit here on is prayer. Uh, praying is one of those things that I don't know uh, if there's something that builds up my spirit more and encourages me more than spending time in prayer. I love spending time in prayer with other believers on Wednesday night here. I'm encouraged because I get to see God answer those same prayers that we prayed for. We remember praying for Kimberly before she ever actually went to her echocardiogram in the first place. She let us know that, man, hey, this is going on. need prayer. We prayed for her. And now we get to rejoice in that. That's cool. But prayer is more than just asking God for things. I, I look at even here in the Lord's Prayer, right? He asks that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we're actually praying for God's will to be established, that's a great way to exchange our will for his, right? Of denying ourself in exchange for his will. It begins in this place of prayer. And it doesn't have to be hours on end, but it needs to be a daily continual practice. Can I tell you, friends, it's seldom that I get up and I get a whole hour uninterrupted um, from my family and my kids in like some kind of solitude, like monk-like state of prayer. And somehow that's like how I become spiritual. It is a continual thing that happens daily though. And I would encourage you guys, carve out space, carve out intentional time to pray in the Lord and uh, to pray to the Lord. Um, and in conjunction with that, I'm going to try to move through this quick. I would also say uh, in prayer, and I think this is very important, Make time to pray in the Spirit. If you can, do this. This is one of the things that uh, Paul instructs. He, he wants people to speak in tongues. He wants people to pray in tongues. But in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. And then he goes on to say, But he who prophesies edifies the church. That doesn't negate the fact that if you pray in a tongue, you build up your spirit. You build up yourself. And this is where... Uh, it gets all, all interesting. We talk about the theology behind this for a long time, and we can. But he goes on to say, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. And so just because prophecy is something that he's eagerly asking people to do more, uh, it doesn't negate the fact that, man, Paul is encouraging us to speak in tongues because he says he who prays in a tongue actually edifies himself. And there are times where I will just pray in the Spirit, not knowing what I'm praying, but to build up my spirit, man, and feed my spirit. If we want to deny and uh, starve the flesh, the best way is to feed your spirit, amen? The last thing I want to talk about is that four-letter F word, fast. It's, a, right, it's that Christian curse word that we talk about. We don't really like to talk about it very much because fasting as much as we might want to say like, oh, we can fast something here. We can fast video games. I've been fasting fruits and vegetables for the last 30 years. Um, fasting is the biblical practice of forsaking food and drink. It's literally starving your flesh to feed the spirit. And I think very practically, friends, it's something that a lot of us probably don't do. Few of us could probably do it a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> it'd help us out on both fronts, spiritually and physically. <laughs> but to fast and to give up food and or drink for a period of time, not just, to, not just to give something up, but exchange it for something else. 
The idea behind fasting is that you would forsake food and drink for a period of time and that you would fill that same time with spending time with the Lord, whether it be in the word, whether it be in prayer, whether it be in worship, these things. And I would encourage you, friends, pray about it. Consider making it a, a, a daily, not a daily, um, yeah, I fast every night between 12 and 8 a.m., um, but make it a consistent part of your lifestyle. Consider what it would look like to fast consistently. Maybe it's once a month where you just take a day. Maybe, 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 maybe you work a crazy job and it is hard for you to fast for 40 days. It's not hard for me to fast 40 days, but uh, realistically, I understand that this is probably a new concept to a lot of people. But I would consider, hey, maybe you fast breakfast and lunch. And you, you use that same time, not just that you don't eat, but use that time that you would have spent eating to actually spend time with the Lord and see what he does in your life. Just give it a shot. Give it a try. I will say this. There are people that tell me, oh, I can't fast. It's just so hard for me. My job's too demanding. Man, there are people out there that are doing this intermittent fasting just to lose weight. And you're going to tell me that you can't fast if you're empowered by the Holy Spirit? You've got to give it some practice. You've got to give it a try. You've got to strengthen that spirit, man. And it's not going to be easy right away, but that's the whole idea about what we're talking about here, to putting to death, crucifying the flesh, of beating our body, making it our slave, denying ourselves, and taking up our cross. All of that happens by way of his spirit. And it's something that we can grow in. I remember first giving my life to the Lord and going to a prayer meeting and five minutes had passed. And I was like, is this over yet? Right? It's long. I've prayed for everything I know to pray about the entire world. And it's hard. And, you know, there's some things that begin to strengthen as you begin to strengthen your spirit, man. And fasting, prayer, giving, right? Uh, worshiping. <laughs> um, I forgot my first one already. Got to go back to my notes. Reading the word daily. They are not easy things to just do. They're not natural. And that's why we look at them as supernatural, as building up our spirit and actually denying the flesh. And there are practices that I believe that you guys should hope to implement on a consistent basis. But I wanted to end and conclude this morning with Zechariah chapter 4, a promise of scripture that we have there. I shared it in prayer because the angel of the Lord comes to Zerubbabel and is telling him about how God is going to equip and enable him to rebuild the temple, to rebuild this promise. And he says, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And I, I can't reiterate this enough that it's not just you figuring it out. It's not just you trying really hard that is going to enable success here. It comes by way of surrender to the Holy Spirit. And I think one of the prime ways that we can do that is staying in fellowship with other believers. I've got friends like Adam, a friend like Daniel McLean, who we get to go see this week who are really good at pointing out when I'm walking in the flesh. 
and I've got something that needs to be worked on. And they challenge me and they provoke me. And there's something about community that really helps put to death that old man and helps me walk in the spirit daily. We need one another. We need each other. It's not something that we can do alone. And I think that that is a a beautiful part of the church. And I want to actually end this morning with communion. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.